Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. The whole armour of God. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armour so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armour so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armour of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And the second reading Matthew 5, verse 9. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Amen. Thank you, Jean. The missionary Don Richardson went with his young family to Irianjaya, Indonesia, to bring the gospel message to the Sawi tribe. The Sawi tribes were uh, honoured treachery, murder, revenge, things that they would strive for. It showed who was the strongest and most powerful among all the tribes. They were headhunters and they were cannibals. Richardson tried again and again to show them the gospel message and its truth, but it seemed that there was no way that they would be able to understand or comprehend this message that was so foreign to their own way of life. There's a point... There he decided he was going to have to give up. They'd have to leave and um, try somewhere else. And it was at that point that he learned about a legendary custom that they had. In fact, they were so worried about him leaving, they acted this custom out, perhaps for the first time in centuries. The custom was the peace child. And the custom said that if one village were to give another village a baby boy as a gift, then for as long as that boy lived and grew up, there'd be peace between the two villages. And that legend of the peace child gave Don Richardson a chance to make a connection to the gospel message and their way of life. He was able to uh, realise that this connection, he could say that mankind had been at war with God since the fall of man. And the only way to bring real peace was for God to give his son as a peace child, as a gift to this world. And because Jesus rose from the dead and now lives eternally, there can be peace between man and God. With this connection, many of the Sawi people believed the gospel message and were now able to understand it and the peace that had been brought to them. 
And 50 years later, after he had um, first been to um, the Sawi tribes, he returned, and there you see uh, Don Richardson with other ministers ready to baptise um, in a very beautiful pool of water, as you can see. Um, isn't that great? Um, a lovely story. Today we look at the seventh beatitude. Blessed are those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. And you may have already taken note that uh, as we focus on peace in one reading, the other reading reminds us to put on our battle gear for war. A bit of a contradiction, don't you think? Jason, did you do your homework when you thought about which Bible readings to do? Uh, well, the reading from Ephesians does give us a spoiler alert in the reading uh, where it demonstrates us to be um, fitting the readiness with the readiness of the gospel of peace on our feet wherever we go. And last week we looked at blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. We also read Philippians 4, which reminded us that the peace of God would guard our minds and our hearts. So we are expecting a little more definition to God's peace, rather than the generic understanding of how the world would imagine peace being brought. So today, let's consider how we can take a deeper look at what God's peace is, by its meaning, its maker, its messengers, and its merit. The world might define peace as the absence of conflict and strife, but God's peace is defined through the presence of his truth and righteousness. Mankind may stop fighting, they may resolve to put an end to conflict, mankind may call for a ceasefire or get organisations together to create treaties to ensure a war like the last one will never happen again. Mankind can offer a truce, but without God's righteousness, we cannot live peaceably together on an international scale, or even just between two people. And God's peace does not compromise his truth and righteousness for the sake of peace. Peace from God is a result of his truth and righteousness. The world tends to create peace via a compromise. The philosophies of today demonstrate that we are told that we are to be tolerant to everyone's views. We cannot presume that we might know an, of an absolute truth and that all religions and all ways of life are to be exalted and only then will the world be able to find true peace. That philosophy is called universalism and it's possibly the number one enemy to proclaiming the gospel truth. The world is fine with us having our quiet belief as long as God is fine to roll over and let anything and everything be accepted. Again, God will not compromise his truth and righteousness for a second-class worldly peace. True peace, like God, is pure. It cannot be obtained without righteousness. That's God's righteousness. You cannot be at peace with others until you recognise and resolve the wrong attitudes and actions within ourselves that contributed to the conflict, and then together come before God for cleansing through his righteousness. And God's peace is not the passive accept everything about others so that everyone can be happy sort of peace. This is what the world would like to describe. God's peace is aggressive. It's an aggressive force of goodness. It cannot be separated from God's holiness or purity. And we see these sort of contradictions in this idea of worldly peace to what even Jesus said when he came. In Matthew 10 we read, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Jesus didn't come to bring peace at any price. He came to give the fullness of peace. 
and to reach that there needs to be some battles. Jesus fought them. He tells his peacemakers, you and I, to put on the full armour of God as there is a battle ahead to bring God's peace to this world. Perhaps a good way then to try and understand how God's peace is going to come about is to look at a future event. Uh, now, um, the thousand-year reign, the millennium, where Jesus reigns uh, on this world. Um, now, the Gospel of Matthew is structured into five discourses. Uh, we're on the first one, uh, the Beatitudes and Sermon on the Mount. If we went through all five, we'd finally get to where Jesus talks about the end times. We won't get onto that today. Um, it will take some time. Jesus might return before we get onto that. But... Um, uh, so to abbreviate and not have a sermon within a sermon, what I'm uh, wanting to share with you is just showing the millennium as a literal thousand-year period where Jesus is reigning here on earth in Jerusalem um, before the final stages. He's got uh, Satan chained up, and then he's released at the very end just for a short time to finally um, complete the works. And so we can look at Isaiah 11. Some of the home groups have been studying Isaiah over the past uh, year or so. And Isaiah 11 speaks of this time and begins by showing the active forces of God's truth and righteousness. So we read uh, in Isaiah 11, He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on heresy. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. That sounds like the Beatitudes. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. That doesn't sound too passive. And here's uh, my favorite verse at this point. He'll wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. Here's the truth and righteousness, God's truth and righteousness, in the form of Jesus Christ bringing God's peace by force. And then Isaiah 11 carries on talking about the perfect peace it brings. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat and not eat it. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear and not be mauled. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. This is an active, aggressive rule of God's truth and righteousness which comes before a peace that is supernatural. It's almost like that peace we described, uh, that state of purity we described a, a week or two ago when we were looking at um, purity and the state of purity in creation before the fall. So it's a return to that. And then we get this wonderful promise in Isaiah 9. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it carries on and says, He'll rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. We are told to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Without these, we do not have the readiness to run with the gospel of peace, as we are called to do. Moving on to the maker of peace, God. Men are without peace because they are without God, who is the source of peace. 
And we can uh, read from Paul, speaking to the Ephesian church. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Or he says to the Colossian church, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It was through the viciousness of the cross that God's peace was brought back to man. The Son of God, beaten, mocked and crucified, the sky darkened and earthquake occurs, and the curtain in the temple is supernaturally torn from top to bottom. The reaction of God's righteousness clashing with man's greatest wickedness and God's righteousness won. Jesus conquered death and rose again, and therefore peace has won. We see the fullness of peace through our triune God, how the Trinity forms and works together. We know um, that God is love through our knowledge of the Trinity. God, the one God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, is a relational God. That's why um, we see his demonstration of love within himself and to mankind and his creation. So too, God's peace can be fully understood if we recognize the Trinity of God. If the Father is a source of peace and the Son is a manifestation of that peace, then the Holy Spirit is the agent of that peace. Peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So the God of peace sent his Son as a Prince of Peace who sends the Spirit of peace to give you the fruit of peace in this life. Then we have the messengers, us. Four things characterize a peacemaker. One, you have, you have made peace with God yourself. While we were still sinners or enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. We read that in Romans earlier in the year, in Romans 5 verse 10. When you believe that Jesus Christ is God's son and put your trust in him, our battling against God comes to an end. Second characteristic of a peacemaker is a peacemaker leads others to make peace with God. The purpose of the church is to preach peace through Jesus Christ. To bring another person to Christ is the ultimate result of being a peacemaker. Third, a peacemaker helps others to make peace with others. A peacemaker builds bridges between man and God and between man and man. As far as possible, live with each other in peace. We are also told to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That is when we imitate the peace that can be found through God alone. Bringing peace between each other still sometimes means a bit of pain leading into it, just as we read in Isaiah 11. We sometimes need to rebuke people for what they do and to be rebuked ourselves. Discipline never seems pleasant, but it can be life-saving. Sin has to be dealt with, like we saw in Isaiah 11, um, and we need to deal with it to bring that peace, God's peace. Fourth, a peacemaker endeavours to find a point of agreement, not compromising God's truth and righteousness, but still to be able to find a common ground, like Don Richardson was able to do with the Asabi tribe. As God's peacemaker, we must learn to confront without being abusive. We have to be patient as we make others aware of God's peace. And we should actually assume 
that the other person will be prepared to meet with the gospel message. I um, think of you, Ray, when I, I think of this, that you go out and you assume people are ready to hear God's word, uh, and we should all have that same attitude. Peacemakers don't just hunger and thirst for God's righteousness in their own lives. They have a passion to see those virtues in the lives of others around them. If we want to be peacemakers on Christ's terms, then we need to be peacemakers on the terms of truth and righteousness. Not anything less, then we are going to meet some conflict. There will be conflict before God's peace. He has called us to a special mission to begin restoring his peace that has been lost since the fall. Truth will sometimes bring anger before happiness. Righteousness will sometimes bring antagonism before it produces harmony. Remember, we've read, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. A person must mourn over their sin before they can find the comfort and peace from God's righteousness. To gain God's peace requires repentance to lead to purity that is God's truth and righteousness. Believers cannot avoid facing truth or avoid facing others with the truth for the sake of harmony. God's peace can only come by God's way. We can't try and create harmony by compromising God's truth. That requires a whole lot of discernment in how we approach each other in love. So a peacemaker endeavours to find a point of agreement. Along with the bout of truth and breastplate of salvation, we demonstrate that we are God's peacemakers through the shield of faith and our headpiece, the helmet of salvation. They are marks in the battle to show whose side we are on. And we are given the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. We need to practice using it, the Bible, God's word, we are going to be skilled soldiers and peacemakers for God. Finally, we have the merit of peace, the reward or the result. We will be called children of God for eternity. There will be a recognisable trait in our character that cannot be hidden and makes people who do not yet know Christ proclaim that that person is a Christian. Not just religious, not just someone who goes to church, but someone who belongs to Jesus Christ. And this is not an individualistic label. We who make up Christ's church, the body of Christ, collectively will be identified as children of God. When we wear the full armour of God, we will be recognised. If we're only wearing parts of it, or a mix of other armour pieces, then we'll either be mistaken in identity, or we are in danger of misleading others away from Christ. As we strive towards the merits of peace, we'll start making better sense of the various lists of God and God's word that we are to adhere to, like Philippians 4.8, or like the armour of God in Ephesians 6, or 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a description of God's love, or the list of Beatitudes in Matthew 5. We have one more Beatitude to go. While I've enjoyed studying each one as I'm bringing the message, I also need to make sure that I don't just treat each of these verses as isolated verses. It's easy to take one at a time and then look at which one relates to yourself the most. But Jesus wasn't speaking just about different groups of people for the different Beatitudes. He was speaking about the same people across all the Beatitudes. He's speaking of God's children, of you and I. If we're going to be the children of God, 
to be peacemakers. We need to be sincere and ready to run with the gospel of peace to the nations. We need to strive to be pure, set apart and holy, just as God is holy. We need to show mercy in all areas of our life and to all people, not just when it suits us. We need to hunger and thirst for the righteous, for the justice that only Jesus Christ gives. To come in humility, to be truly repentant and sorry when we've got things wrong. To realise that we are poor if we rely on our own efforts. But then through these attributes we are reminded of God's great love and that he has called us his very own. Don Richardson found a connection to present the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ to the Sawi tribes in Indonesia. As peacemakers, we are also called to find a connection, a way to relate the good news to the people in this community and beyond so that all nations have the opportunity to know God's love for them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we make our way through these beatitudes that you shared and you taught, I pray that you teach us. Take, help us to take time to consider each one and then of them all together. And Lord, we want to be peacemakers. We want to be called children of God in each and everything that we do. Help us throughout this week to look at how we ensure we have peace with you as we read your word, as we study, as we take time to talk to you. Help us also to look around us, to have the opportunity to share this message of peace, of your peace to others. Help us to look at where we can bring others together. Lord, let there be a mark on us that people will look and realise our faith in you. And let it, um, this coming week, when we have many visitors here in Geraldine, to um, flow and spread by your spirit to other people. Surprise us, Lord, when we suddenly find us in a situation where we can share our faith to others. In Jesus' name, amen.